It's a great day to live for Jesus. This is the In the Word podcast with Pastor Mike Grover, a chapter-by-chapter devotional journey through the New Testament where we will browse the background, discover the doctrine, and practice the principles of God's Word for us today. When I was in fifth grade, I did something that was probably one of the worst things I ever did in my life. Yet I learned a lesson from it that has stuck with me even until this day. I was in Mr. Smith's fifth grade math class and he was pairing students up against each other to do some math drills. And he was pairing people up that would have kind of equal abilities, but in our class there was an odd number of students. And at that time, which would not be true today, I was probably the best math student in the class. And so Mr. Smith, because there was no other students left, paired me up against him. Man, what an attitude of superiority that gave me. Man, I was sitting there thinking that I was so superior to the rest of these students. I'm so much above them. And that pride and that spirit of superiority poured out of me when two students got up, which is crazy because to this day I can remember their names. And he paired them against each other But everyone in the class would have known that these would have been the two students that absolutely struggled the most. But you think I would have compassion toward them. You think I would have a sense of cheering them on. No, what I did was laughed and mocked because I was so caught up in my own superior attitude. And Mr. Smith did something that has served me well to this day. He laid into me like dumping a ton of bricks on someone. And man, he chewed me up and down so much that I think he forever cured me of having that attitude of superiority. Now, this is what's going on in Luke chapter 15, but instead of Mr. Smith and me in his math class, we have Jesus uh, and the Pharisees. And it's the Pharisees with this attitude of superiority, and it's Jesus bringing the life lesson. And in Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Then drew near to him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spoke this parable unto them. So here you have the Pharisees um, and the scribes and their superior attitude against the publicans, the tax collectors, the outcasts in their culture, and the sinners, which was a general term uh, for the common men of that day in the Pharisees' eyes. And so in this story, you have the classic law versus grace setting, um, duty versus delight. And Jesus begins to teach them here a lesson about the heart of God and how it should be our heart as well toward people. And it says here, the Pharisees and scribes murmur, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. You see, sitting down to eat a meal with people was really a a symbol of acceptance of them and bringing them kind of into your inner circle, as it were. And here's Jesus, man, spreading his table and inviting all who would come to the table but the religious leaders of that day, they had, a, they had a real problem with this because the Pharisees, although they professed to represent the Lord and his word, completely missed the heart of God. And so Jesus begins here to tell them a parable. And that's really most of this chapter. Now, it's interesting because it's a parable, but there's three stories within the parable. The first story is about a lost sheep. He said, which of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them went astray, you wouldn't leave the 99 to go and look for the one. 
And then he tells a story about a woman who has these 10 coins and she loses one of them. And she immediately drops everything else and lights a light in that probably windowless room and starts to sweep that earthen floor, trying to find that coin, that valuable coin to her. And then he makes it real personal. And he tells a story about a man who had two sons and one of the sons rebelled and took what he had coming to him and left and went into a foreign country. And there he wasted his money, wasted his life, blew it all, man, just destroyed his life. And the other son, the older son, the one, by the way, who would have gotten the primary inheritance, probably two thirds of it, and the younger son would have gotten one. Um, And he stayed there and he just kept serving right along. So you got these three stories that he's really using to rebuke the Pharisees and to show them the heartbeat of God for people. Now there is a connecting glue between the stories because when he finishes the first two stories, he gives a summary. First of all, the lost sheep, they find the sheep, the guy comes home with the sheep. And in verse seven, he says, I say to you, likewise, joy will be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over 99 just people who do not need repentance. And he said, well, Pastor Mike, I know the Bible a little bit, and I know there's no one out there who doesn't need forgiveness. There's no one out there that doesn't need repentance. Absolutely right. But what Jesus was doing, he was really facing the attitude of the Pharisees who would have saw themselves as righteous and acceptable to God. And Jesus said, you know what? There's more joy in heaven over one of these publicans and sinners sitting at the table with me if they'll repent and come to faith in me than they are over 99 of you who think you don't need repentance. Then he tells the story of the woman with the coins. And then you have the summary in verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. The woman found her coin. The man found her sheep. And and in both cases, there is rejoicing over them. The first one says there's joy in heaven. The second one says there's joy in the presence of the angels of God. Now, the third story, the story of the lost son, doesn't end with that verse, but it ends with something even more pointed. So this son rebels against his dad and says, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait around for it. And the dad gives them their inheritance and he takes off and he squanders it and he blows it. And man, he finds himself in a pig pen working really just so low down that he's ready to eat the same food the pigs would eat. And you have to understand in the Old Testament economy, which is where we are here because we're before the cross, a pig was considered an unclean animal to the Jews. That would have defiled them. But this guy had gotten so low, he didn't care about his heritage. He didn't care about anything. He just wanted some food. And in that moment of the lowest point, the Bible says he came to himself, man, he woke up and he said, I'm going to go back to my father. It was so much better there. And I'm going to say, just make me a hired servant. You don't have to treat me like a son. I just need a bed to sleep in and some food to eat and just be near to you and remember the the kindness that you showed to me growing up. And the Bible says he went back home. And even while he was a great while off, the father ran to him and fell on him and he kissed him. But Instead of saying there's joy in heaven over one sinner, now the father in the story takes on the persona of the father in heaven. And in verse 22, it says, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Man, the best robe, position back, the ring, the sign of the family authority, and then shoes, sandals on his feet. Well, what's that a symbol of? Well, that he wasn't a servant. He was a son. 
The servants would have been walking around barefoot, but no, he was going to have sandals on his feet. So the father was welcoming this son back into full um, and privilege into the family. And so what Jesus is showing us here in this is that this rejoicing in heaven over sinners repenting is being provoked by the heart of the father. It's the father that told them to rejoice. It's the father that told them how to accept him. And you see, here's what we have to catch. In our pursuit of people, in our mixing with people as followers of Jesus Christ, you have to understand that our heart toward that person that's out there and maybe looks like, you know, they're so much worse of a sinner than us, um, our acceptance and bringing them to Christ when they're willing to turn and repent is motivated by the heart of the father. It's the Father's heart that said, put this on them. So they're rejoicing. They're having a big party. But then in verse 25, it says, his older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what was going on? What do these things mean? And he said, your brother's come and your father's killed the fatted calf because he's received him safe and sound. And you say, well, man, he probably was so psyched and he was happy and he was rejoicing just like people in heaven were. No, he wasn't. He was angry. The Bible says in verse 28, he was angry and he wouldn't go in. And the father came out to him. You see, in this parable, the older brother is representing the Pharisee. And the point Jesus is making is your attitude of self-righteousness has blinded you from the true heart of the father for the lost one that comes home. And these Pharisees are hearing this story and they immediately understand what he's saying, that they're the older brother in the story and how they viewed themselves as self-righteous and they viewed themselves as superior. No, God saw them as kind of angry and missing the whole point of his heart. And he says to the older brother, he, he said to him in verse 29, uh, you've been with me these many, the, the son said to the father, lo, man, these many years I serve you and I've not transgressed at any time your commandment. And yet you never gave me a, a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, your son has come, which has devoured your living with harlots and has killed, the, you've killed the fatted calf. And he said to him, son, you are ever with me and all I have is yours. It was fitting that we should make merry and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So the older brother, the Pharisee, missed the whole point of grace because he was a law keeper. And being a law keeper and missing grace and faith was the whole issue that the Jews had all along. Sunday morning, we were in Romans chapter 9 talking about God and, and God's sovereignty and things like that. But when you get to the end of chapter 9, God summarizes the whole problem between Israel and them not coming to faith. And it says this, it said, what shall we say then in verse 30, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, 
and whosoever believes on him will not be ashamed. You see, the problem with the Pharisee in the story is summarized by the Apostle Paul in Romans 9. He said the reason the ones first chosen missed the whole point of God's grace is because they didn't seek it by faith. They sought it by the works of the law. So what this parable in Luke 15 is setting up was really the motive in the Father's heart that sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. The Pharisees hated Jesus, but they needed his salvation, man, as much as anyone else. You see, their sin didn't look as bad as others' sin, but the reality is we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They just didn't think they needed God's grace because their pride, their attitude of superiority over others blinded them from their true need and really blinded them from the heart of the Father and blinded them to grace. So, you know, we need to be careful um, not to look out and look down at others who we perceive as being worse sinners than us. See, we're good at doing that, aren't we? But we need to look up at the heart of God for them and look in and realize that my sin may be prettier than their sin, but it needs the same grace that they need. So the word for today is this. As we look out and we see people that somehow we perceive as in so much worse living behavior and choices than we're making, our attitude, rather than being one of superiority to them, should be one of the heart of grace from the Father for them and really ought to come down to this old adage, there go I but by the grace of God. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of grace that is going to cause rejoicing in heaven if that one will repent and if they will truly come to faith in Jesus Christ and enjoy the same grace that we get to enjoy. Thank you for listening today to In the Word. Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey through the New Testament.